I want you to, you need to go to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. And I need a carpenter because this pulpit still hasn't been expanded. <laughs> because I'm, when you get my age, you're a, a note preacher. Somebody said, well, is, is that biblical? I, yeah. Because if your sermon ain't any good, just light the paper the notes are on and you'll have fire. So. <laughs> anyway, this, how many of you like mysteries? Amen. I, I love mysteries. And uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, it is the glory, oh, is everybody there? that's going to get there. Okay, anyway. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And according to our new covenant, we are kings and priests, and we will be more into that during the millennial reign, but we are considered priests right now. So you have to enjoy searching Scripture. Mm -hmm. Does anybody like to do that? I have. I found out in in my mature of aging that uh, it's more exciting than it has been in a long time because I used to have to get three sermons together and all that. And those of you that are have heard me preach are thinking you just do good to get one. So I, you know, but but it's 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 interesting how God takes this and he plants something in the beginning and he threads it all the way through scripture so we can we can enjoy that amen uh, so now after having said that i want you to go to first kings chapter 19 and we're going to start at verse 8 all right, first off, how many of you know the story of Elijah, Mount Carmel, and what took place there? Yeah. Everybody's familiar with that. Okay, well, you'll even be more in the dark when I get through, but, but at least it will be interesting, okay? But uh, tonight I want to talk, and I'm borrowing from a message that was, I think, September... September, October, yeah. September 10th, our pastor, he <coughs> preached on the strategy room. Anybody remember that? Uh, yeah. yeah. And it was very interesting. And so as it was got Monday, I was thinking, oh, I'm supposed to preach Wednesday night. And I kind of got nervous. And uh, anyway, I just had to go back to some references that I had in the past and it, it all has blended together, and I like it. But we know that Elijah, he was fighting with the king, King Ahab. The, the, uh, the king had married Jezebel, and she was a bell worshiper. Actually, if you go into and, and, and read the history of, of Jezebel, her parents, well, her mother was a... a a, I don't know, kind of up, uppity up in the, the bell worship thing. And so she brings it. But Ahab is the king of, of Israel. 
Jerusalem. And that's probably not a good idea, but that's how that the kings would do it. If they were afraid of another country, they would, you know, uh, have one of their their kids or something marry into a family of the king that they kind of feared and all that. And so we uh, see that's how Jezebel ended up with, with Ahab. He married this lady. Bell worship. You, you know what bell worship is, right? So we see that Ahab and Jezebel has come and they are establishing this bell worship. It's idol worship. And that is directly against what the Jewish people, you know, taught and everything. And God warned them over and over and over again. He says, I'm a jealous God. There will be no other gods before you because I am jealous. And yet they just kind of started breaking into this and they got away with it. And then, you know, they kept doing it. So we see that uh, finally it comes down to where uh, God had to deal with the Jewish people because of their disobedience. Now I want you to understand there may be difference of opinions on judging, but I am here to tell you God judged America at 9-11-2000. It because up to that time there had never been a war or anything that happened in America never did and so because of all of uh, all of the things that were going on they had taken the uh, prayer the Bible out of school and uh, they had uh, then they got away with that where was the church during this someone has said you know that the church had its head in the ground and I'm wondering what's going on with the church now because just there is a remnant of the church that is aware that we are at war it is a spiritual warfare and so we come and look at this and we see how how Elijah, Elijah, he got to, he he went and there was a, a famine in the land, and he has instructed, been instructed by God to go to Ahab and tell him. He said, "It will not rain until I tell it to rain." And when Ahab saw him, he already knew the reputation of Elijah, and he said, "You troubler of Israel." And we can look at that and we can take it into what's going on in America today. And we, the church, need to arise. We need to, like our pastor spoke about, we need to go to our strategy rooms. We need to find out what we can do as the church. And we're going to look at at three different stories tonight. But we, we look at... 1 Kings 19, 8. And he arose and did eat and drink, and he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, 
What doest thou here, Elijah? All right. Jezebel had told a messenger to take a message to Elijah. He had killed 850 prophets of Baal. Different different areas of, of that they were prophets of Baal. And that was what Jezebel was feeding them, taking care of them and all that. And she gets upset. Now there on the on Mount Carmel there was this revival that took place. Because he told Ahab, he said, I want you to get all the people of Israel. I want you to gather them on Mount Carmel and we're going to find out who the living God is. Alright. Number one, Baal is the idol god of rain. They're in a famine. It's been three years into the famine. And they're, they're hurting. So just if you don't really remember it, your homework for the rest of the week is go home and read a, read eight well sixteen through uh, nineteen chapter nineteen. But anyway, so they come and there is the the priest. They are there at at the altar and they're trying to get Baal's attention and he's not he's not having any of it because he's a he's a stone. He's been carved. He doesn't, you know, all that stuff. But Elijah sits over there and he makes fun of them. Yeah. And I mean, this aggravates them. And so they start cutting themselves and doing all that. They get in a frenzy. And finally, it's Elijah's time. And Elijah had said, this will tell us who the God of Israel is, is that the true God will answer by fire. And so uh, the fire came. There was revival. The people of Israel said, God is the true God. And so they go down and they're headed off. Well, Ahab gets home to the palace and he tells Jezebel what's happened. And she's not happy. And so it just goes, he gets the message. And that's why that says, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days, forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Now I want you to just for a moment, where does Elijah consult God in all of this? Mm-hmm. You see, that's that that's where we get into trouble. We we have problems and we just say, all right, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then when we're doing it, oh, we say, by the way, Lord, bless our... Actually, we just need to say bless our mess because that's usually what happens. But it says, the, the word of the Lord came to him. He's in a cave. He goes where he's instructed to go. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah starts into this deal... It's kind of like when we pray for something we have need of. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They have thrown down thine altars. They have slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And now they seek 
they seek my life hmm, to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and this great wind, strong wind, rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance into the cave. And God began to speak to him. Okay, so Elijah has this excuse why he's where he's at. He, he just, he's running for his life. Mm-hmm. Yet all of this, this miraculous, him calling far down from heaven, and a revival, one of the greatest revivals that has taken place in a long time in Israel, and yet when he gets word about this crazy lady, Jezebel, he's scared of her. He wasn't scared of all the prophets of Baal. He wasn't scared of Ahab. He wasn't scared of any of this stuff. But he gets a message. So Jezebel messed up when she sent a message. She should have, if she was going to take his life, because she just says, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be just like the prophets that you had killed. So we look at uh, verse 14. says, and he said, I've been zealous for the Lord because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. That's true. They have torn down your altars. True. They have killed your prophets. Very true. With the sword and I alone am left. And now they seek to take my life. Well, we always have problems with, well, who are they? I'm glad I'm one of them, but I don't want to be one of they. Anyway, you know, if if you've been in the Assemblies of God and used the hymnals much, you'll know what I'm talking about, which hymn. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. So God is not through with Elijah. And he says, uh, I want you to... uh, also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And then I want you to anoint Elisha, the son of Sapheth, of Abel of Mahola, and you shall anoint as prophet in your place. <laughs> now, I'm glad he doesn't do that like, you know, to ministers when they're pastoring churches. All right, there's going to be a visitor shows up next Sunday, and he's going to replace you in the pulpit, and you're going to be out, you know, looking for, you know, another church. <laughs> oh, anyway, but this, this happened, you know, with uh, Elijah. And he says, And it shall be that whoever ex- escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
Amen. So we, we look at Elijah and we still, you know, this is a mystery. Why did he go to this place? He went to, the place was actually 400 miles south of where Elijah started. 400 miles. There was not Uber. He wasn't even a camel jockey or anything like that. So he travels by foot and goes 400 miles. Just, I mean, you know, he left without packing. And, and here he is. He's still worried about Jezebel. And God just, just confronts him and he says, Why are you here? Why are you here? And so my question to you is, what time is it? What time is it? Amen. Crystal, what time is it? And we're talking spiritually speaking right now. Okay. So we come and we, we check this out. And uh, he, Elijah, he, he was with his, with his servant. He leaves him in Beersheba and he goes further by himself because he didn't want anyone to know where he was going to report to Jezebel. So, a day's journey was the ancient way of estimating distances. This is, this is what I want to point out. You've heard all about Elijah, but we're looking at, at, at the futility of, of all this stuff. Such a journey varied according to circumstances. So the journey after he left his servant was anywhere from 18 to 30 miles that he goes on further inland because he doesn't want anybody to know where he is because if they see him, then they'll report to Jezebel and he's a dead man. This reminds me of Jonah. Jonah, he comes, he's sitting down under a gourd vine and wishing to die. The next day, Jonah... Here, Elijah, the mighty servant of Jehovah with power to save and destroy, has fled from a lone woman. This, this, I mean, this, this is Elijah. He is a powerhouse. When he says it will not rain, it will not rain. Why? I, I, why didn't he just say, God, you know what? Just, just put your hedge of protection around me and protect me from this lady. And he could have just been down in Jezreel someplace, you know, at a bread and back breakfast or whatever, and, ju and just enjoying life. But he takes off because the enemy found a weak spot in his life. Yeah. Even after a great revival, Jonah, the very same thing. And uh, so we see that there's two. They're both they they have revivals, and anyway, Elijah tired of running was weary of life. So what was it that that Elijah prayed, asked God to do to him? What what did he ask God? To take his life. Yeah. Okay. Didn't Jonah do the very same thing? And that was another great revival in the Nineveh with Jonah, but yet he wasn't pleased with the results, and so there, there's something going on here. And uh, 
it's interesting because this is more for information. This isn't to get you shouting in the aisles or whatever, because that's not happening. But I like I like what Finest Date says about it. He says, strange as it may seem, God has not permitted him to die. Elijah. Now I want you to think of everything you know about Elijah. Because it even goes until now. Elijah is over 2,500 years old. Right. He, he never died. Yeah. He never, God translated him into heaven. So by the reason I brought that up is because don't ask God to take your life. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to live 2,600 years. You know, <laughs> not, not, in this, not in this body. And Elijah is in his natural body. He's still alive in his mortal body, having been translated that he should not see death until the future tribulation when he will die as one of the two witnesses. Yeah. Revelation 11, 3 through 12. Now that's interesting information. So this is a, a history and a prophecy lesson wrapped up into one. So we're going to get to see Elijah. And, you know, it, it's, I, I wonder when we sit down through, you know, through the ages, you know, what kind of yeah, relationships we'll have with everybody because we'll, we'll know them as they're known. And, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of beyond. So. So we look at it and we see there, starting in verse 8, that Elijah was going toward Mount Horeb without it being the direct will of God. I caution you, do nothing without being in the will of God. Amen. And that is something that you have to grow into. That's something that you have to, to pursue with your learning and growing in the things of God. But this is God. God allowed it, and he allowed it to teach others that much time and effort can be wasted following self-made plans. Yeah, it's true. So all we have to do is that when we get saved, we have to say, all right, Lord, I want a relationship with you where that I know what you're wanting me to do that through the spirit and in my relationship that that I understand uh, you know you may not talk to me you know out loud but you speak to my spirit and all this stuff and it is futile to go and to do things that aren't God's will Amen. and that reminds me he has gone this 400 miles one way. See, then in the cave entrance, God gives him his marching orders. He's going to go back north 300 miles. This guy has... How many of you like to walk? I just raised my hand because I use that as an example, not because I like to walk. I don't. But you like to walk. It's, it's wild. To go 400 miles now, you know, I think I could find someplace, robber's cave or something, if 
somebody was coming after my life. I, I wouldn't have to run over to Florida, you know, just literally run or whatever to, to hide from them. There's lots of good hiding places in Oklahoma. But, but we come and look at it, and it's kind of like this. Somebody has said, I want to pace myself with my attention span. <laughs> I want to pace my life so it will be with my attention span. So everybody's just on the edge of their seats and all of that. But I want, to, I want to share some truths with you that will help you not to go out in your own directions under, you know, well, uh, you know, I, I, I just know that's, this is what I'm going to do. Trials tighten our focus. We have trials because we need our focus our attention my attention span and I don't want to pace it with my attention span because sometimes it, it kind of gets pulled here and there but trials tighten our focus blame doesn't get you through a storm remember the last storm you went through and who did you start blaming well you know this whoever it is but blame will not help you get through a storm. Amen. Because our pastor would be stoop-shouldered because I'm sure he probably, he doesn't know it, but he gets blamed for a lot of stuff that happens in our lives. And I'm glad there wasn't an amen. They love you, brother. They love you. <laughs> but it, blame doesn't get you through a storm. Amen. Certain storms are unavoidable. Well, Lord, I just want you to protect me all the days of my life. I don't want any troubles because I don't have that much hair to lose or whatever. And so, But some storms are unavoidable. And all the energy we spend trying to get out of the storm could have been, it could have been used to find out what we needed to learn from the storm. Amen. Yeah, you know, that wasn't 100% amen, but what do we need to learn from it? One of the things that I have found out about Americans, especially Oklahomans, Okies are a different kind of people, mm -hmm. amen. that we have all kinds of books to read. We're going to spend eternity in heaven and yet, if I came to your house and checked your libraries, would you open it willingly or would I have to kick my way in and you'd be screaming, and, you know, because we don't really spend that much money on the Christian helps to help us understand the Bible. And yet we say, well, we don't read, you know, we don't read Revelation because we don't understand it. Well, get some things that will help you understand Revelation because... What time is it? What, what season are we in right now? And there, there is a, a purpose and a point to where, where I'm going. And if I... Ooh, I better hurry up. Because we might not get there. But we, you know, we, we just look at these things. Lord, I want to be in Your will. I want to learn from your word. 
But Okies like to learn from experience. <laughs> experience is not neat. <laughs> Most of us are the way we are because of our experiences. We see life through our experiences. We do. And we judge people by our experiences. So one of the things that we need to understand is God's timing. What time is it? It's time that we start saying, all right, Lord, just give me an understanding of, Lord, if I need to sharpen something or if I need to do something different or whatever, let me know. But God's timing is designed to teach us to trust whether He answers it with comfort for us, because that's how we want it. We want comfort. Lord, I, I just need your comfort. Rock me like Marie's rocking that beautiful baby right there. You know, and, and so some of us have been rocked to sleep. Some of you need to be rocked, but not to sleep. Anyway, that's another message. But our God can change us. Most of the time, we're going to find out God wants to change us through the experiences we experience if we're going to be stubborn and not read and that's provided for us to learn how to live life. And so then we just come on and what if? What if this happened? What if? I did this and that happened. What if, what if? And so the longer I wait, the louder my what ifs get. Yeah. What if? It works both ways. The wind was against them. Here, Jesus they, the, and the disciples had been ministering to the thousands and they're up there. And so Jesus sends, puts them to the ship and says, I want you to go up the other side. The wind's against them and... But the word was for them because Jesus is setting up there. He went up after he sent the people away. He went up into the mountain. And geographically where that mountain location is, according to those that have been there, that he could see the sea. He, he saw the disciples down there in that ship struggling with those high winds and those waves. And yet he just let them... Go on. Why? Because he wanted them to see another facet of who he is. That he's just not, you know, just a teacher. He's not just a rabbi. But he controls the wind. And so here they are. They're out there struggling. And this ghost appears on the water. And it's walking on the water. And they are scared out of their ever-loving minds. And, you know, it, it's, what if? What if? So he says, do not be afraid, it is I. And so Simon and them recognized the voice, but they still wasn't sure. And so Peter said, out of all the other 11 disciples, he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me a word. Just I, all I need is a word from you, Lord. 
That's something that we can put in our notebooks and say, Lord, that's all I need from you because over the years of my life, I have learned through the trials and the experiences that I have gone through because I was too stubborn to read instructions and be in the Word or whatever. And just one word. And that one word was come. And all 12 of the disciples, they were fighting each other to see who could get over the side of that ship first to get into the water. No, Peter was the only one, and he steps out. Some people say he was walking on water. No, he wasn't. How many of you can walk on water? I'm not talking about the frozen kind. We cannot walk on water. So Peter did not walk on water. You know what he walked on? Jesus said to Peter, come. He walked on the Word. That right there, I want to hear that again and again. Tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart because sometimes my mind isn't really kicked in. You know, my attention span, we won't go there again. But anyway, you know, so what if we just took him at his word. Yeah. Our what-ifs wouldn't give us problems. Uh, it's harder to give, or is it harder to give faith to the what-if or to give fear to the what-if? Lord, if it's you, and then just tell me to come. And Peter came. The only reason he went down is he got his eyes off of the word. We are where we're at today because we, the church, have got our eyes off the Word. So that's why we need to go to the strategy room. We need to spend time. It's interesting that according to Scripture, David, we're going to uh, First Chronicles, let's see, First Chronicles 12 and verse 22, and for at that time, day by day, there came to David people to help him until it was great, a great host like the host of God. David has been, he has been made king over Israel. But yet, not everybody has come to David yet. And so, in, in, in we, we look at that and we find out that uh, it talks about, it says, from that time, uh, the people come to help until it was a great host like the host of God. The scripture begins to tell us that all of those who came to join David's army go to First Chronicles 12, 22 to join his army. And it talks about the children of Judah, 6,800. 6, then it goes on, and you can read the different. And then it comes down to the half-tribe of Manasseh. But, now listen to this, because what I'm going to mention now doesn't sound very important, and does it even like sound like it ought to be here. Because these people were not the most skilled soldiers. They aren't even miss, are, are mentioned in Scripture because they have not been trained in how to throw a spear or use a sword. 
They only had one skill. And when I was looking for something to share tonight, it took me back. You remember that that uh, Issachar? What was Issachar? You remember I preached on that here a while back. The Issachar anointing. All right, it's they had only one skill. But that skill made them indispensable to David's army. And that skill made them indispensable because their ability was to discern the times. Every army needs people that are intelligent in that type of of understanding. And it's, it's like, well, it's like this. You remember when Solomon was given God came to him in a dream and he said ask whatever you want and he said I'll give it to you so in 1 Kings 3 5 through 15 if you want to write it down and go and look you know but this is what Solomon wanted he didn't want you know all this stuff he didn't want to be wealthy he didn't want all this stuff he said I am but a boy I'm a young man and I need to understand and to discern. In other words, what he was saying was, I need wisdom and I need understanding. And that right there should just kind of grab our attention because that's exactly what the church has need of in these last days with the things because we're in what season? We're in a season of war. And I mean, it is for the souls of man and it is to just, I mean, disrupt America like it has never been before. Understanding, wisdom, some total of knowledge and wisdom, knowledge plus wisdom, equals understanding knowledge how do we get knowledge we go to the word we read that's that's what god has provided for that's how i learn i can go and i can learn because experience ain't all that in a bag of chips all right it's not knowledge and wisdom understanding wisdom is the principal thing because you can get a a college education and you still won't be brilliant you won't it it just it depends on what you do with that that you have knowledge and wisdom wisdom is the principal thing i take the knowledge that i learn from the word i take the knowledge that i learn from each one of you as we form our relationships and i take that and i can come the principal thing is wisdom It's wisdom because as I listen to you all, I gain knowledge and I take that knowledge and you've got to do something with your knowledge or you're just, you know, just out there sleeping in a climate change meeting or whatever. (laughs) In all of your getting, get understanding. I shared this with the class. Get an understanding, a heart that understand a heart because from out of the heart is how we move how we that's 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 what motivates our being so in all thy getting get understanding a heart that understands to interpret a thing the way god would see it 
So in other words, what it's really saying to us is that when I read Scripture and I put that into my heart and I hide that in, into my, my mind, that I can see things through God's eyes. Why? Because the Scripture is seeing through God's eyes. It is dictated to the 66 authors of the Bible that that's exactly what it was. Those 66 authors were not perfect. The, the, the greatest miracle workers of our time from the 40s and the 50s and 60s, they all had flaws. I have a flaw. Uh, yeah, there's nobody. There's nobody. And, and I would, you know, ask my wife, why don't you in, embrace, you know, your, your bad choices and everything. But it would be on Radio Land. Or the, 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 anyway, we won't go there. Seeing through God's eyes. I look at you and I understand that as I take the Word and I take that knowledge and the Holy Spirit helps me to put it into wisdom how to use that knowledge that I can see through His eyes and I can understand what you're going through. And hopefully you all can look at me and see what I'm going through. And, you know, some of you just go, oh Lord, help us. Anyway, feeling through God's heart. This God's heart is revealed in Scripture from the front cover to the back cover. Feeling through His heart. Man, He has compassion. I have compassion for whom I want to have compassion. Yeah. And my whom is whittling down to who. Yeah. And it's even going less than that. But that's why we need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded, I need to go and I need that wisdom. And I need to understand that wisdom is the principal thing. Hearing with God's ears. Man, if that could happen. And it can. But we have to humble ourselves. Speaking with God's words. Walking in God's steps. Wow. Because, you know, we've been talking about walking tonight. I don't want to be walking in Elijah's steps because that boy, he put some miles on his body. And, you know, touching with God's hands. There is something about it. Everybody here, everybody on earth, we need to be touched. Amen. And it starts at just an age like this little Autumn sweetheart. She needs to be touched. But you all have to wait your turn. And in time, you, you will get to touch that sweetheart and all that stuff. I'm waiting my turn. But see, we judge people by their actions. You know, we judge people by the actions. But through every action... There is a desire. And behind every desire is a need. Yeah. And so we need to have that heart of compassion. We need to walk. We need to hear. We need to see. We need to touch with God and who He is and what He wants to be in our lives. And so we see here that uh, as the children of Issachar 
which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need that today. We need to know what America needs to do. More than that, we need to kind of fine point that and the church needs to know exactly what God wants us to do because there's some people out there hurting and there is a change there is a transition taking place in america as i speak i haven't been this happy as i'm happy now in a long time because that change is coming and i i I wanted to see you know just what god was up to and so that veil is being rent and he is exposing and uh there's a whole lot more I could say about that, but anyway, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200 and all of their family and their family was at their command. One of the most in things, the important things for a minister is the ability. And so when you pray for our pastor and our associate pastor, We need to pray that their discernment is sharpened, that it's on the cutting edge. That's our responsibility to our pastor because we love our pastor and he's the one that's leading us into that and that he's the one that shares, he's the one that encourages us. But the ability to discern the times, everything about life deals with timing. But then he had the sons of Issachar and they were not skilled warriors, but their weapon was they understood seasons. I don't know everything. I need the help of God through the church and how he's established the church that we can have that understanding that we will know what the season is. We will be on the cutting edge. We will be able to minister to America, to the people of Oklahoma, because I don't intend to go any place. I might go to Texas, but I anyway. We just need to understand the seasons. Amen. Knowing what do I do in this season? That that's where I get frustrated. That's why that's why I'm excited because there is a flop that is happening in the realm and it's exciting how God's working that out. That's why the sons of Issachar were so important. They were David's secret weapon because they had a spiritual discernment that came from God. This discernment enabled them to see beyond the natural and see behind the scenes. This supernatural ability gave them the advantage over the enemy because they weren't controlled or dominated by what they saw. Yes. You know what? I am very emotionable. I am impressionable and all that. And so you better pray for our pastor so that he can pray for me <laughs> and keep me, you know, in the straight and narrow. But that that's what it's all about. And so that's why David was so proud of this group of people, the Issacharians. They were awesome. We need that discernment. Amen. We need to find... He called it a strategy room. I call it our secret place. We need to find that. Amen. 
and we need to spend more time in there than we do on other things. Job 28, 7 and 8 says, There is a path which no fowl knoweth, and which the vulture's eye has seen. Or the, the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelp have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed by it. The greatest threat to the devil is people who go into the cave. The cave dwellers are what just frightens hell. You know why? Because Satan... Alright, we, we look at David. He started out in the cave of Adullam. There's 400 people, men that came along and, and just, I mean, it just went from there. We see Elijah, he's in a cave and that's where he gets a revelation from God and God tells him, I want you to anoint Haziel, I want you to anoint Jehu, and I want you to prepare Elisha to replace you and, you know, and all that. And, you know, he was just wanting to die. But anyway, he's over 2,500 years old. Yeah. That, that that's that's I like mysteries like that. Yeah. That's exciting that he's in heaven. He is before God and he's 2500 plus years and he feels a whole lot better than I do. Yeah. The greatest threat to the devil in his plans to kill, to steal and to destroy are not the generals or the commanders or the military or the politicians. It is the heart of the American people. That is guard your heart whatever the cost. Because that's where we keep the love of God in our lives. And so we need to take that time. We need to go to that strategy room if that sounds good to you. Or we need to go to that secret place because Satan cannot come in to your secret place. He can. It, it's off limits and there's no way he can come in there unless you let him. And so the Lord just says, I'm jealous over you and I want you to know this, that if you will find your secret place, that there in that secret place, I will anoint you with power. I will anoint you with so much insight that, that we can minister to the people of America. And so, naturally speaking, we're not going all over America. I'm not a missionary and all that. So, it is that those people that we have influence over right now, that we talk to, that we hang out with, that is those people that need to know what's going on. And so, there's a lot of pressure on our pastors. There is a lot of pressure. And I'm just, I'm glad that... Uh, I'm not a pastor anymore, but that I am helping my pastor. And he he lets me preach every once in a while. He lets me meddle mostly. He didn't know. He thought he was just saying, you know, would you like to preach for me? He didn't realize that I would be meddling. But there's some things in our lives that we need to have people getting into our business because we have no business with that kind of attitude or whatever. And so we are blessed.